and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies we haven't seen yet. My name is Trent. I'm here with my wife, Betsy. Well, hello. Betsy, we're on episode number four of the 2023 version of Never Scream It. Spooky times. (laughs) And I think this year, like every year... Never Scream It is going to be not the traditional way that a lot of other podcasts do things. We like to dig deep into something a little bit more messed up and not necessarily just scary. So, Betsy, we have decided we're going to watch the 1986 version, this is a remake, of The Fly. I was aware that this was a remake, but I forgot until you just said that. Indeed. This is directed by David Cronenberg, and Betsy and I were just talking prior to hitting record. Neither of us have seen any David Cronenberg movies. I had to go through the whole list, Mm -hmm. and there's not one movie there that I have watched, including and especially this one. Totally. And, like, David Cronenberg as a name, as a director in film, I have heard about for decades. I know the name, but I have never actually sought out any of his movies. The one movie that I have been told, besides this one, that is worth your time is Videodrome. I don't really know anything about it, and as, like, a director himself, I know that David Cronenberg likes a lot of, like weird and kind of fucked up stuff. Just scrolling through the filmography, I get that vibe. Yeah. And from the few of them that I actually, I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard of this one. I've heard of that one. Most of them, I'm like, I've never even heard of these movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's weird how I'm so familiar with the name David Cronenberg. Yeah. And I don't know why. It's just one of those people that I know the name. Is he like a director's director? Like a lot of other filmmakers really admire him? He's kind of like looking again at his filmography. It gives me cult vibes. Like people in the know love David Cronenberg, love what he has to offer. But he is not a mainstream guy. And I don't know that he wants to be. I think you're right. Just based on the filmography. (laughs) So uh, about The Fly, uh, this is also starring Jeff Goldblum. We have not covered a Jeff Goldblum movie, to my knowledge. That's a friggin' travesty. Yeah. Because I love Jeff Goldblum. We love Jeff Goldblum he, in this house. He is such a little weirdo, Betsy an eccentric ha- man. Betsy has a pillow with his face on I it. I do. <laughs> I have one particular picture, which I will post on our page at some point this yes, week. Yes, yes. Of Jeff Goldblum that just makes me so happy and I got really excited about it. And so for Christmas, my sister bought me a pillow with the picture <laughs> on it. And it's my most prized possession. If you don't follow us on social media, it is the photo that is his main photo on IMDb. Yeah, he's wearing like this really crazy like, it's like tiger. A rain, it's like a rainbow sweater, uh, sweater thing. It's like a $10,000 sweater. And or he's some smiling and he's laughing and it's just, it's, it's adorable. Joy. It's joy. It's adorable. It's, it fills me From my top to my toes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we love Jeff Goldblum, but however, this is not going to be a Jeff Goldblum movie. To my knowledge, this is going to be very weird. I mean... What do you know about The Fly? He is the star. It's him and Gina Davis, as I understand. Okay. And there is a device, a machine. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know what the intention of the machine is, but while they're using it, a fly gets in and it transforms him into a freaky half-man, half-fly. Everything I know about this movie comes from the Treehouse of Horror segment on The Simpsons. Oh, no. We're going to go talk about The Simpsons again. Well, this is what I know. They parody this movie with a segment on Treehouse of Horror. I think Homer gets some kind of 
device that is made for teleportation. Okay. Now he, of course, Homer uses it for stupid things. Like he puts one section of the teleportation thing in the refrigerator so he can put his hand into the thing and get a beer. He tries to set it up in front of the toilet so he can piss into it. Oh God. (laughs) But what happens in the episode, the same thing happens in this movie. Bart and a fly get inside of the device at the same time, and Bart turns into a fly. They become one. Exactly. That is my understanding here. Jeff Goldblum is a scientist. He is creating a teleportation device, and exactly that happens. A fly ends up inside of it. The fly DNA and his DNA merge, and he comes out half man, half fly. And my guess is it doesn't happen right away. It happens slowly over time, like any kind of monster movie where there's a transformation. And Maybe. The thing I've heard is the transformation is a lot. Like, the makeup is intense in this. The one thing that I know about the movie movie is that it's fucking gross. Oh, ew. Yeah. Okay, this will be interesting. Yeah, that's that's what I have heard. Gee, thanks. I'm Now I'm really looking forward <laughs> to this. Well, I also think, if, if I remember right, somebody has said that, think about the lifespan of a fly. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of time to, like, reverse this. Ew. Okay. All right. Now I'm, I don't know. The more you're saying, the more you're turning me off. So we better stop talking <laughs> before I change my hey, mind. Like I said, never scream. It comes in all forms. So this is going to be a gross episode. We're going to go watch The Fly from 1986. We'll be right back. back betsy i don't know why we watched the fly perhaps we'll die betsy (laughs) (laughs) holy shit what did you think of that that was exactly the kind of movie i expected it to be and more uh, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. It is campy and obscene, and it definitely has those moments where they weren't gross. Like, there was gross, but they were also, like, so fake. Pretty gross. That you're just kind of going, ah, ah, oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, it's also kind of sad. Like, the way it ends, you're just like, well, that sucks, because it's just bad to worse, basically, just to the, kill me, the kill worst me now. Possible thing that could happen. Yeah. yeah. So I was having a good time. Uh, I have lots of thoughts about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I can see why this movie has a reputation of number one being, you know, really gross. Like I, like I heard, and you know, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, I said it in the intro. I did not expect him to be the Jeff Goldblum that I know, where it is just. His mannerisms, his way of speaking, everything. He had that way back then. Oh, yeah. All six foot four and a half of him. Yeah. Gangly, goofy ass dude playing the piano. It's all on display here. Indeed. But you know what? He's friggin' perfect in this movie. Like, there are not that many actors I can think of that can commit to a role like this, and I buy it. Like, I bought him from the time he shows up to the very end of the movie. As this weird eccentric scientist but he's not a quack 
Like, no. he's really smart. He knows what he's doing. He just can't build everything himself. So he outsources all of the, like, engineering stuff. He knows what he needs. He just needs to put it all together. Well, Trent, we have said it many, many times. He's a well-funded scientist. That's so right. we should have known from the beginning that by the end of the movie, he would be the villain. And it's he's he's becoming the villain not by his own actions, I would say. I mean, it's sort of an accident, but it's also you got drunk and you didn't have a spotter, dude. You got to have a spotter when yeah, you science. That's right. You can't just jump into the machine and expect everything to go okay. What if the door got locked? What if something didn't work and you're just trapped in there for fucking days on end? Like, there's a lot of scenarios other than simply, you know, a fly gets stuck in there and now you're a fly man. You're Brendel fly. You know, you could have just been stuck in there it could have been that simple yeah you and the baboon yeah we'll talk about the baboon (laughs) (laughs) but like all that being said he is a charming man like his his character is a little bit out there he doesn't seem to have like any friends or family but at the same time the movie wastes zero time with anything else other than the main plot oh yeah we literally are just dropped right into this scene like in the middle of a scene it's not like here's a meet cute where she approaches him and says hello no they are in the middle of the conversation we have no idea how long these two have been talking right we got no names no backgrounds I didn't know she was a journalist until she was revealing herself as a journalist. They didn't say either of their names until like 15 minutes into the movie. Wait, you have a name? Yeah, I'm just like, oh shit, we're just here. We're going, like, let's do the thing. Yeah, and it's all like very matter of fact. And it's just, I just so happened to have this thing back at my my warehouse apartment (laughs) that I believe is going to change the world. And, you know, you could say that as uh, a cheesy pickup line. You could see, I thought that he was flirting. Oh, he is. Because when they get to his apartment and she reveals the tape recorder, he's like, well, no, no, no. I wouldn't tell a journalist this because up to this point, he's actually been trying to hit on her. But I don't know like what, they do not go into why she's there. Because he's trying to pick her up, Trent. Literally in the bar or at the party or whatever it is, he's telling her, come back to my place, come back to my place. And it's not until she says, well, don't you want the quotes to be right? I'm recording this for my magazine that he says, no, no, you can't tell anybody this because it's not ready and I haven't hit that thing yet. And no, I would never have told you this if I knew you were a journalist. And she's like, you knew I was a journalist, but he's an idiot because he's a scientist who's distracted by the obvious. I mean, I thought that he thought she was another science person. No, they literally in that place at the very first scene, she says something about being a journalist. Does she? I yes, didn't get she that does. at all. No, he's just an idiot who's trying to pick her up and is really bad okay. at it. Okay, if that was the case, then yeah, he's just an idiot. He's just an idiot because that's usually what happens in these kinds of movies. When you're a scientist, you're not so good at the other stuff. But he has absolutely no problem once she's on board with, you know, they just get right to fucking. I don't know. There's like a well, weird change. Yeah, it just kind of happens. All of a sudden, she's talking about, oh, I brought steak, and oh, by the way, I'm getting in, in getting in bed with you. Yeah, you're really cute, you know. And then they right. have sex right. in, in his and pull-out couch. Start making out on the pull-out couch. <laughs> oh, they do more than make out. <laughs> like, a lot. There's a lot of fucking in this movie. Yeah, like, kind of a disturbing amount of fucking for a movie like this. 
I suspect it's because this is a remake. It's like, what is the one thing we couldn't do in the 1950s? Well, we couldn't show them fucking. I'm sure not having seen the original, that the storyline is mostly the same, even including like, oh, she's having his baby. That would be my assumption. I suppose. But maybe you, they they just imply that you they have could, been together you could not, biblically. You could not show that on screen in any capacity in the 1950s. Most likely. So it's the 80s. We've got these two. I guess you could argue that they are attractive, but these two have like the most specific, unique kind of attractive <laughs> Uncon- for them. Unconventional. They are unconventional beauties. <laughs> yes. And these two can be fucking... So they do. A I mean, lot. I'll say this. Jeff Goldblum is fucking jacked in this movie. I feel like, okay, let's talk about this. Early on in the movie, he has his shirt off, but we don't really see him like jacked. Later on, did they like take a six month break? Jeff Goldblum went off to the gym and got jacked and then came back and finished the shooting? Uh, what happened here? Okay, he wasn't that jacked, but he was definitely he was jacked toned. for the 1980s. He was upper body. Tone. He's like lean and strong. He's not like you, you know, know what I gonna mean, fucking bench press me and you know <laughs> like take me to a bodybuilding competition. Yes, you know what I mean though. I don't. I don't know because I didn't honestly look at him that closely. Like they did it in such a way, like the first time they have sex, that he's kind of under the sheets and hidden, and then we only see him from the back because he's leaned on something. Okay. I could make the argument if I went back and looked that we don't actually see his chest at any point, like really see him until later. Like, yes, he gets in the machine. Yes, he's having sex with her. So his shirt is off. But I don't think you really get a good look at him until he is doing this impressive display of physicality where he is just like flexing his (laughs) chest muscles and showing us his ripped arms. Like doing an entire gymnastics routine on the bars. Obviously, definitely the real Jeff Goldblum (laughs) doing gymnastics on the bars. Of course, it's totally him. Yeah, it probably was the same person who was doing the dancing and flash dance. (laughs) They had the same hair, so I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of hair... (laughs) God damn it, we have to talk about this. All right, this is nothing to do with anything except me. Yeah. So, folks, at the beginning of the movie, the two of them go to a diner. And I am looking at Jeff Goldblum, and I had a sudden horrifying and yet amazing realization. A revelation. A revelation, if you will. (laughs) 1986 Jeff Goldblum has my hair too. <laughs> 100%. And folks, we don't do video versions of this podcast, and I don't think we ever will, but Betsy's hair, I f- fucking identical. I'm oh gonna... my fucking God. So when I haven't had a haircut, it like it was a little bit mullety at moments for mm-hmm. this movie, but I will admit to you, that's the way my hair grows. It just yeah. gets kind of long in the back. See, yours is a little bit more curly than his yeah, was. Yeah. But but when your hair gets longer, it gets less curly, <laughs> and especially in the winter. Oh, Betsy. The long and short of it is I can't unsee it. In the rest of the movie, all I kept thinking was, why do I have the same hairdo as 1986 <laughs> The Fly Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> My life is forever changed and I oh. can't unsee it. Yeah, and this is maybe maybe just for us. This but... is just for us. Like <laughs> no one else is going to understand this until I find a 
good picture that demonstrates this. You need to find one from like when you were in high school or something. Back when it was kind of longer. When it was a little longer and maybe on a day it's like humid. So it's really big. I'm going to find. His hair is almost shoulder length here. Yeah. It's yours barely ever touches your shoulder. Yeah. But it would be really just not a good thing if I didn't mention this to our listeners. Oh yeah. We we can't not. I spent the rest of the time he was on screen before his fly train transformation before he became Brendel yes. Fly. Yes. Staring at his hair. Yeah, and we had we had to take a break. We uh, did. We, we had to. I was laughing so hysterically when I yeah. made this realization that I couldn't move forward. Like we we are lucky we made it to this part of the <laughs> Yes. Well, I, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but he doesn't keep the hair for very long. No, because soon after this sequence is when the real plot begins. Yeah, because he gets into the machine, he does his little thing in there, he comes out, and he looks the same. Yeah. And it takes weeks and weeks of transformation before all the changes start. Well, it's slow at first. Yeah. And then by four weeks in, it is much more advanced. It accelerates. And then it gets more and more intense as it progresses. And the makeup for this movie won the Academy Award for Best Makeup. And I believe I had heard that. I knew about the reputation that this makeup had in this movie. And I just love that they did it this way. Because, yes, if you watch it now in 2023... It is cheesy as fuck because that is how makeup looks 40 years removed. However, I also will tell you, it is really impressive. And if you made this movie now, no one would do it this way, which is really upsetting. We go on a digital character. We would have a digital character. They wouldn't go all the way through his final transformation. At least they would stop short of doing that. Meanwhile, he turns into a fucking fly puppet, melty skin freak by the end of this movie and it's incredible yeah like the transformation in the phases up to the climax top fucking notch i was here for it yeah and the uh the the progression like let's talk about that so for some reason the first time they have sex he is laying on a like a chip like a computer chip and it gets embedded in his skin i i would say he would probably have noticed that you know Midcoitus, I don't know. Again, he's just such an absent-minded scientist that he doesn't even notice things like that. You know, a big piece of metal embedded in your skin. Yeah, I'm not going to notice that at all. I'm not going to stop. No, not until it's like fully dug into your flesh and you have to have someone pull it out. I guess. But he has this wound that is kind of the focus the the rest of the movie. This is where everything kind of comes out of. Like, he starts sprouting hairs, and they're, like, really, really coarse. They're, like, thick. wires, yeah. Yeah. Like, you need to take, like, a bolt cutters to cut them off. Also, the fact that she uses a pair of scissors instead of trying to grab, like, tweezers or a razor. Her first instinct is a pair of scissors. Well, even he tries to use an electric razor to later, shave his face. Later, he and, does. And they don't work. But this is what I'm saying. The first time she notices them... The first instinct she has is to use a pair of kitchen scissors. Because they're huge. I guess. Like, they don't... They're a little inconsistent with the size of these hairs. Because when they first show up, they're like little baby things on his back. Yeah. But then they use clearly, like, a model. And it's close up and made bigger to really emphasize what she's doing. 
I suppose. But you're right. Like, she could literally just grab one of those with her hands. Just and, yoink it and out. just pull it out. <laughs> you know? And then, like, as it progresses, he starts like, developing, like, acne. Like, his skin starts to change. It, it he, starts getting kind of darker and muddy. and Yeah, but you only really see his face change. Not the rest of him early on. No, it's pretty slow at the beginning. But then once it picks up, he starts getting, you know, jacked and sweaty. When he goes to the bar and he has the arm wrestling thing, the fucking, I don't even know how to describe it. It's Secretion. like pus. It's like pus coming out of his hands. I They don't explain why it's coming out of his hands. I kind of thought it might be the weird, like, vomit stuff that he has. But no, that's that's out of his mouth. But it, yeah, they don't really explain why his hand is oozing. Yeah, and of course, there is where he's discovering, oh, I have this super strength, and I can break the fucking wrist of this guy. That was so nasty. And uh... again, that is just the beginning. There's the introduction to the fucked upness that comes later. No, no, no. The fucked upness started with the baboon that he turns oh. inside out. Well, you know. We don't need to go into full <laughs> full uh, details about that, but the long and short that I have to say about that is, why would you start with that large an animal? They're, that fucking lab rat? You ever heard the phrase lab rat? There's a reason. They're abundant. They're small. They're uncomplicated creatures. But Betsy, he has, clearly he has an unlimited <laughs> supply of baboons. He has two baboons. <laughs> he has a limit. He literally says, you and your brother. That's all he's got. <laughs> why would you invest in baboons first? Sorry. Tangent. I am done. <laughs> <laughs> But to get back to the transformation, so yeah, it starts off slow, then we don't see him for four weeks, at which point he's already figured out what has gone wrong and yeah. what is happening to him, and he doesn't try to solve it. This is so infuriating to me that as a scientist, he figured out what went wrong, he fused genetically with a fly, he is becoming the Brundle fly. his entire body is taken over by like pustules and he's like hunched over and walking with canes yeah and like to describe that what the director told the makeup people is think about tumors and how tumors kind of grow on top of each other it just kind of expands out from the skin tumors on tumors yeah that's that was the direction of the makeup people and it works it he looks very decrepit and like gross and it was very effective but it's not until this point in the story that he actually starts trying to undo what he has done. He starts to understand exactly what happened. The telepods, instead of just moving over both things at the same time, they took the DNA and then replicated it and fused them together. It ended up being a gene splicing kind of a thing. Right, the computer didn't know what to do, so it just made an executive decision. <laughs> so this is why AI is also a bad thing. Like predictive, exactly. predictive technology does crap here. like he this. He talks about he has to. I have to teach it how to interpret flesh. It has to love the flesh. It has to learn how to penetrate the flesh, Betsy. What does that even mean? I need to teach it to love the flesh. Yeah. Like he doesn't explain that, and all of a sudden it just works. Well, think about the other experiment that he does. He transports the steak. You know, you go from a nylon to a baboon to a piece of steak. 
To a human. To a human. That's, that's the, the progression. The logical progression. <laughs> that's the scientific method, goddammit. But that's what I'm saying. He is a good scientist, but also he's a terrible fucking scientist. He's terrible. He gets to this point where he figures out that what is wrong with him is the fly and he have merged because there was a fly in there and he didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, what do I do? Well, I sit around my apartment for four weeks doing nothing, apparently. Eating eating sugar. Eating sugar. And then even after that, he's so slow to try to undo the problem that by the time he figures out the solution, he is full fly crawling on the ceiling. That's the thing, though. The solution isn't a solution to bring him back to what he was. I don't think there is a way for them for that to happen. Well, it says the way to make him the most human is he has to fuse with another human. Yeah, basically, he goes from half human, half fly to two thirds human and one third fly. That's kind of how this was going to go. That was his game plan. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that doesn't happen. No. Because by that point, he stops being like human at all. And he is just a freaky fly man oozing about the floor. (laughs) Right. And his actual solution that he comes up with after he finds out that Gina Davis is a preggers is to take himself and Gina Davis and her baby and merge all of them together into one. What is going on? I thought the obvious answer was to take her creepy editor boss man, who is, like, stalking her most of this movie. Oh, yeah. But then by the end is, like, not such a bad guy. It He has a weird turn. It doesn't make any sense. Betsy, he's a good guy with a gun. What are you talking about? All I wanted was for him to be gross and bad the whole movie so that he could go in the machine, mm-hmm. and then maybe we could salvage Just take, what's left of Jeff take Goldblum. Take the fly out of Jeff Goldblum, put him into the boss man, and then problem solved. That, I scienced it. Listen, that was my preference. But instead, Jeff Goldblum is like, no, I've scienced it. I'm going to become one with you. <laughs> That's a terrible fucking idea. Well, it's fucking, it's two movies in a row where I'm rooting for the wrong person. <laughs> where I wanted to root for the scientist. I wanted to root for the goth girls, but I didn't get my way. <laughs> well, and you do root for him. You feel bad for this guy. Totally. Like, he is acting like an asshole. He's acting crazy, but he can't help it. That's the sugar talking. He doesn't know. It is all that sugar. (laughs) That dude is eating it by the spoonfuls. He's eating donuts and cereal and a bunch of garbage. Kids, you need a well-balanced diet. Don't turn in to fly Jeff Goldblum. With vegetables and meats and proteins, you need lots of things, not just sugar. This message brought to you by your friendly Aunt Betsy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he he realizes all these things. He gets to his final problem solving, which is take pod one, take pod two, put us together in pod three. Now, if he had taken the boss guy and himself, then at least he would have been slightly less freaky. I don't know how that would have worked, though. I don't know. Like, I I think there were some flaws. And then, of course... The pod gets disconnected and he fuses with the pod. Yeah. Why would the computer suddenly go, okay, that's what he wanted? <laughs> yeah, I think the, this this software needs a little bit of tweaking. I mean, it's 1986. I like that the telepod works. That technology works. But it's the computer that's like, okay, I'll just make it up as I go. <laughs> and yet when he emerges... 
he is fucking merged with the pod. And this is like the final phase he takes. Which is a weird thing because what's coming out of him is just like the hoses from the pod. It's like the the outside curved metals and it's all fused with his body. And he literally takes the gun up to his own head because he's like... I yeah. need to not. Yeah. Let's, no. let's end this right now. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, made a horrible, horrible mistake. And he just keeps escalating the problem and not actually fixing it. So please, for all of our sakes, <laughs> make it end. And you were like, black, fade to black, go to credits. Yeah, and it I fucking was. I was hoping after she pulled the trigger and it's just a pile of goop on the ground, I was yelling at the TV, please cut to credits, please cut to credits. And it was. You did it. I got my wish. You willed it into yes. being. Fucking awesome movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get back on tracker because all we're talking about is just him being a gross fly, and that's kind of the movie. I think it's most of it. It is most of the movie, but I had a bunch more thoughts here. First of all, the production company behind this movie is Brooks Films. And if you were thinking that it had something to do with Mel Brooks, congratulations, you're right. Yeah, we're watching... He was a producer on this film. We're watching the opening credits, and I go, wait, Brooks Films? Brooks Films. Like, Brooks Films. Yeah. And yes, that is exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. Mel Brooks was a producer on this movie, and he was the one, apparently, that gave us the line, be afraid, be very afraid. Is that originally from this movie, or is it from something else? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Because... I've obviously heard that phrase before, but I just kind of assumed it was a thing that people say. I have no idea, but I will say Mel Brooks did not want to have his name put on this movie in any shape or form because there is a connotation behind a Mel Brooks movie. You're thinking that it's going to be a comedy or some kind of slapstick thing or he's going to be in it or something. He decided not to do that because this is a David Cronenberg thing. This is going to be his baby. And he'll contribute here and there when he's asked. It would detract from his project if Mel Brooks was like, Hi, I'm Mel Brooks and I'm all over this movie. Because I had that thought immediately when I saw it on the credits. I can't help but have that twinge of familiarity. And I know what this movie is going to be. Mm -hmm. Even though in my brain I'm like, no, this movie is not going to be that at all. Because I know what this movie is. So I completely get it in the 1980s especially. Mm -hmm. That he would be like, I'm going to just distance myself. I, I support your project. Yeah. I'm going to cut the checks, but just, you know, silently back away. Right. Mel Brooks was still a very big name in the 80s. This is like right before Spaceballs or the I, same year. Somewhere around there. Yeah. It came, out, it came out around this time. Yeah. So that's the backstory with the production company. Uh, we also saw in, in the opening credits, I'm still there. Howard Shore did the fucking music here. I love how far back his career extends. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many random credits that he is responsible for. And the London Philharmonic did the music directed by Howard Shore. Oh my God. This is like this big, beautiful score for this freaky little movie. There are some moments here that I I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there are a couple of moments here where the, where the music is just building and building and building. And I noticed it while we were watching. The swell. Like just listening to this swell of music. Yeah, it's a gorgeous job by Howard Shore <laughs> for The Fly. There's a reason that man has gone on to, you know, win Oscars and shit. 100%. I also wanted to talk about the technology here. 
So this guy is using a computer of some kind. It is not like a computer like you and I have used in the past three decades. But it's got some stuff in it that's kind of cool. Like, he has a voice recognition, like, password thing, where he's, like, dictating commands, and he's putting in his voice as the password to indicate that it's okay to, to run the command and shit like that. I kind of figured early on that that's going to come bite him in the ass later because he doesn't sound like himself anymore. Right, as he transforms, he's starting to get more insect-like. Right. And his voice gets very gravelly, and his teeth are falling out. That's the thing, though. His mouth isn't the same because his teeth are, like, pointed inwards. And, of course, when he talks, he's not going to sound the same, and especially if his teeth fall out. Yeah, he just gets real weird, and his voice goes along with him. Yeah, so the, the, the whole thing about a voice recognition thing in 1986, that's kind of a huge thing. It was still, like, theoretical science at that point. Totally. And I know it's not actually doing anything here, but, you know, he being a scientist, him creating all this technology around him, he would also develop something like that. I always think when we're watching, like, 80s movies where there is some kind of technology that it's it's very futuristic, thinking about what we have now and what, they, what people were interpreting back in the 80s, it's just fascinating to me. Well, when we were watching the end credits, and there were two groups i was looking for yeah one was the technology like the Mm -hmm. special effects right and one was like the makeup and the computer graphics the effects were done by one guy it was one man who did all of that yeah and i was remarking that oh man you remember when the credits were so short when you didn't have like 1,500 people on the digital effects teams. Oh yeah, there's like thousands of people that made this movie. Yeah, now you could probably count how many people are in the credits of this movie. Oh, you absolutely could because the group that was the largest was the makeup team. Exactly. That was was a huge block. That was the special effects that they did that required lots and lots and lots of people. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, one computer guy. It's like when we watched E.T. in in 82, like how many people were assigned to just the E.T. puppet? The puppeteers and the creators of these puppets were the most important thing of that movie. It's like, what's your job? Well, I operate his left hand. Right. And that is my entire job. In this I'm movie, the index finger. In this movie, what's your job? Well, I operate uh, Jeff Goldblum's left eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one more thing before we get off of the technology kick here. When Jeff Goldblum is coming out of the pod for the first time, he's coming out, he's naked, and the, the baboon hops up into his into his arms. But while this is happening, he's taping both pods. Okay? He's got a camcorder on one, he's got a camcorder on the other. Oh, camcorders. Oh, camcorders. And he's taping it to, you know, to show later, to show for posterity and for Gina Davis. Because she's she's a journalist, she wants to pre- present all of her evidence to everybody. And well, and she he was supposed to wait for her. They were going to yes, do it together. Exactly. But he says a line that I don't think anybody under the age of thirty will remember and recognize. Referring to the tapes, he says, "Is it live or is it Memorex?" Betsy, do you know what that is? I haven't heard the word Memorex in a really long time. But uh, if memory serves, this is the VHS tape that you could record on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the line, that that's the slogan of Memorex at the time. And the explanation behind the slogan, is it live or is it Memorex? Back in the 80s, people started to get VCRs for their homes. 
They would tape things off the television live, live events. Is it live or is it Memorex? The idea that you can record something off of live television, the quality of the recording of the VHS tape was kind of an important thing. So Memorex thought up the slogan, oh, you can't tell the difference between if you're watching a live event or if it's on a tape. Because, you know, it's the 80s. Tapes are kind of shitty. Well, and in the 80s, that was a fucking novelty it was most, a luxury most people didn't have a vcr they were expensive yeah. and the tapes to go with them were expensive too and especially the tapes you could record on most vcrs when they first came out didn't have that ability no it was just a tape player yeah, you could play tapes. You yeah. couldn't record things off TV. Let me tell you, this technology lasted way longer than I think people expected it to. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until I had graduated from college. So this was like, I don't know, 2008, 2009. I was still living at home and I still had my VCR and I would still record the TV shows that I wanted to watch because I had to work and I didn't have a TiVo or I'm going to keep using all these terms that people definitely <laughs> understand now. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really have the option of doing it online. It wasn't really yeah, well. Streaming wasn't a thing Streaming yet. services didn't I mean, exist. You also had a DVD player. I did. It was a DVD VCR combo. Thank you there very you much. Go. There you go. But when they went digital, when they stopped having analog like antennas when yeah. everything went to a digital stream yep. you couldn't hook that up to the vcr anymore the signal didn't talk mm -hmm. to the vcr and i stopped being able to film my tv shows and i remember this moment <laughs> because it was like the last time i did something yeah like it was very impactful like I'm realizing in this moment, this is the last time I'll do something. This is the death of the VCR. Most it times. Was put out of, it was put out of its misery. <laughs> most things like that, you don't realize it was the last time you did something. Yeah. That was one I remember. Just to go down a trip down memory lane. But yeah, think about down a Memorex lane. <laughs> yeah, think about all the all of the different VHS tape brands from back in the day. I worked at Kmart back when they still sold VHS tapes and everything else. I had to I had to sort all that stuff. I worked in electronics. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I wish one of us had worked in a video store. Oh, yeah. It should have been me, but I never got my chance. I was too young. I missed my window, Trent. Yeah. Could have been another Tarantino. Now I'm sad. Now this has taken a downward turn. All my right. dreams have been crushed. <laughs> All right, let's move on from my, my little aside here. Uh, we haven't talked about Gina Davis at all. Now... I read some stuff here that they actually wanted, like David Cronenberg's first choice to play this character was Linda Hamilton. And Linda Hamilton read the script and said, no, no, this is way too creepy. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. I do not want to have a demon fly maggot thing coming baby. out of me. A grub baby. <laughs> <laughs> so she said no. She said no, but he wanted a relative unknown. Yeah. So he got Gina Davis, who at the time was definitely unknown. She had some movie credits, but it was a couple years before Beetlejuice and mm -hmm. a bunch of other things that really put her on the map. Yeah. And a couple other people who were considered for the role besides Gina Davis and Lyndall Hamilton. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee was coming off of Fast Times at Regiment High. And of all people, Laura Dern. 
Wouldn't that have been great if yeah. it was her and Jeff Goldblum pre-Jurassic Park? <laughs> that would have been awesome. Oh, that would have been funny because it would have made Jurassic Park even funnier in that yeah. scene where he's like hitting on her. Yeah. Oh, the things that could have been. Well, and there were a ton of people also considered for the Jeff Goldblum part, one yeah. of which was Michael Keaton. And I, I mentioned this to you before we started and you said, yeah, I could see Michael Keaton in this. And I agree. I could he's see it. He's got that kind of chaotic energy that would translate to this. And the way Gina Davis has to play this character, she's doing it completely straight and she yeah. is terrified. And she is like, I felt her emotions. Like totally. she is really, really good in this. Yes, it is this cheesy, crazy movie, mm-hmm. but she is completely believable and terrified of what's going on to him. She feels mm-hmm. devastated what's happening to him. She can't bring herself to say what she means around him. And she takes this entire turn because at the beginning of the movie, she's this journalist who is just trying to troll around for a story. This guy's hitting on her. She goes back to his place. And she's just kind of letting him say whatever whatever he wants to say, placating him, whatever. But then the thing that he demonstrates actually works. So then she's got a story. And then from here, I fully, fully believe, based on her body language and everything else, that she is totally playing him just for the story. Absolutely. She's a journalist. You've seen it a million times. Oh, yeah. Any journalist with a good story, if they're a real journalist, Mm -hmm. that instinct takes over. It doesn't matter. You will do anything. It does not matter if you actually feel for your subject. It Mm -hmm. does not matter anything else. Like, the story is what matters. Yep. And the body language thing I just mentioned, I know you noticed this, too. When they're kissing... She doesn't close her eyes. There was like one sequence where the two of them were like making out with their eyes wide open. It is the what most the... uncomfortable thing. What, in the... what is going on here? Like this is not, this is not how you kiss. It's... I know how to kiss. It is not a tra- <laughs> You and I are not going to kiss with our eyes open any. No, no. If I catch you doing that, I'm never kissing you again. <laughs> this marriage will be over effectively. <laughs> But yes, you get what I'm saying. Like, she is totally in on this story, and she's willing to do whatever it takes, including, like, kind of make him fall in love with her. But it goes away quickly. Like, once they have a conversation and he says, okay, this is why I don't want you to publish the story, because I haven't been able to do anything but inanimate objects, so it's not ready yet. But, but, if you really want the story... You could just hang out with me a whole yeah, bunch. He completely invites it and in. And you can write a book about it and it'll end this way and that'll be better. And of course, her being the journalist, she's like, that is a better story. I'm in. Let's fucking do it. Yeah, because <laughs> you're completely career focused. She doesn't care about this piddly magazine article. She could t- take it to a national magazine or a t- television, whatever the fuck else, and make herself a big ass star. But instead... She kind of gets a little bit too close to him and she sees the progression and she sees just the humanity slowly draining out of the guy. And just as a person, she feels for the guy. No, I think she's actually into this man much earlier than you're giving her credit for. Like when she says, you know, you're really cute and makes the first move. I don't think that has anything to do with the story. I think that is the moment where she actually is like, turns off the journalist, turns on I want to be with you. Turns on the horny? I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, I think from that moment on, she's actually interested in him. Uh, I don't know. Okay, the first it's, time, it's the first time, I don't turn. think so. The first time, I do not think so. Well, I think you're wrong. 
I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with them just hooking up. That's fine. But you got to be honest about what angle she's coming at it for from. Listen, the eye open like makeout isn't until he's already turned himself into a fly. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. It's I just know about that. It is. I guarantee you it is. I, I think guarantee. It I think it happens twice. Okay, well, maybe there's more than once. Maybe they just kiss with their eyes open. Maybe we should watch other Gina Davis movies like where a, she kisses. Like a couple of weirdos just making out with your eyes open. Okay, next time you make out with your partner, do it with your eyes open. Don't do that, please. Listeners, do don't. It in, do it in public, don't too. Don't do any of these things. I am begging you. But, yes, yeah, she becomes invested in him. They actually have a relationship. And he starts changing and he's rash and angry and crazed and he's just acting bizarre. And he's rude to waitresses. Yeah. And when she tries to say, you need help, he's like, you need help and kicks her out. Right. As as one does. But then by the time he accepts that there actually is something wrong, she's kind of moved on. But she's still connected because she's pregnant. (gasps) Why does nobody in any movies ever wear protection? This bothers me so much how often this comes up, comes about. It's the eighties. I mean, I I don't know. Like, especially in older movies. I know it was a different generation where we were still teaching everybody about safe sex and it wasn't like Mm -hmm. the broadest topic in the world, but it feels like it happens in like every movie pre a certain time frame. But anyway, it just feels like a common trope. So, of course, she doesn't know if she's having a baby or a big grub. She's not sure. That scene, you and I are both like, oh, my God, what's happening? And it was a dream. It's like, oh, okay. But I'm so glad it happened. It was very intense. That whole sequence was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) The baby DNA is getting into her brain and making her dream this stuff. Which, okay. After the end of the movie, we stopped it. We're on HBO Max, and right next to it is The Fly 2. And we read the description of it. Apparently, she has the fucking baby. Yep, it is her son. Yeah. Who turns into a fly. Who turns into a fly at the age of, like, five. Her worst fears have come to pass. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and at that point, you know... We're not going to watch The Fly 2. That's not going to happen. We're not going to watch The Fly 2. But it it does beg a lot of questions. So putting that aside, you understand why she is freaked out. Like, I don't know what kind of child I'm going to have. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends and it's unresolved. She is having this baby and we don't know if it's a fly baby, if it's a human baby. It just ends. Yeah, and by this we're point... We're left unresolved on that point. And by this point, we're kind of forgetting about the fact that she's pregnant at all. Because, like you said, the movie just ends with a shotgun blast to the face. And kind of a lot has happened in the last ten minutes. Totally. And we don't get resolved with what the baby is. We don't get resolved with the what the, uh, the, the boss man with the, the melted hand and the melted foot. And yeah, we just end it there. And I have no idea if Gina Davis is even in the next movie. I don't need to find out. I, I don't really care. I'm fine. I'm not going to watch the movie. Like, it's if fine. If you've seen The Fly too, just write in and tell us what happens. I give don't us, care. Give us the notes. The footnotes. Yeah. But yeah, through this whole sequence at the end of the movie, like, she is fucking, like, screaming and crying and really moved to, like, this is a devastating thing I have to do. Yeah. And I was there for it. I bought it. I believed her. I felt really bad for her character and Jeff Goldblum's character. This is a fucking tragedy the way this movie ends. 
But how else do you end it? Like, you can't have a happy ending. Not no. to this piece of shit. No, and there's no there's no sciencing his way out of it. No. And I think he's desperate, like really, really desperate by this point because he has completely lost all semblance of, of his own like physical humanity. He is this fly man down to the fact that he has all of the different things coming out of him like, like a fly does, except for the wings. There's no wings in, at all in this. No, he can crawl in the ceiling. Yeah. He can crawl in the walls. He pukes up weird ooze. I mean, that right there is accurate. It is scientifically accurate because that's how flies eat their food. I've never stared at a fly long enough to really Nor have know I, that. But I know that that's what that is. I remember my science but class. Ew. <laughs> it is ew. <laughs> this entire movie is ew. Yeah, the, the concept, the practical effects, mm-hmm. ew. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I think we've gone a little bit long enough here. What else did you have to talk about? I I just had a few things. The only real thing I have to say is the mock-up of the Particle magazine cover where it's like a drawing of Jeff Goldman's character. Yes, I would like that, please. I would love that as a poster. I want that. I bet that exists. I'm sure we could probably get that. (laughs) After this, I'm going to look into it because... Hand-drawn, like, colored even, pencil. Even, like, an 8x10. Not, like, a full-ass poster. I just want Just an 8x10 to put in a frame and put in your office. I, I don't have an office. I you have an, have an office. You have an office. I'll put it up in my office. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I would like that very much. Any uh, listeners who know where I could get one, please email neverseenitpod.gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just had a few things. One, the, uh, the concept of, okay, I work from home. I don't really go out much. And what I do, I put on like a, po- a nice polo shirt and like khakis or jeans or whatever. But I do appreciate anybody who can have the balls to have this guy's wardrobe set up where he buys like 10 pairs or five pairs or however many pairs of the same jacket, the same shirt, the same pants, the same shoes, the same belts, the same socks, everything. He dresses like a cartoon character. Yeah. He has five he identical has outfits. He has a costume. Yeah, his costume is, I am science man, and I don't have to think about it. And there are people out there that do that. They wear a black t-shirt and jeans, and that's all they ever wear. Like, I know a few people who have, like, a rotating set of outfits, like, maybe three or four. Like, I will see the same person wearing the same thing multiple times in the same week. But But not identical every day. But at at that point, why don't you just go the, the whole way? How long do you think it would take someone to notice if I just started wearing the same outfit to work every day? As like, long as you don't look like disheveled. No, no. And it's like the same thing that you're wearing the night, the day before. L- no, what I'm saying is like literally it would be the same thing because I'm not going to go out and buy five of the same thing. Oh, I might wash it. You just know? come home and wash it every night. I, it would be a pain in the ass. But I just genuinely would like to know if I went to work five days in a row, a full work week, would anybody observe that I was wearing the same outfit as yesterday? I think it depends on how like noticeable it is. So if it's got a lot of colors or a lot of big patterns, no, I, like think a- it, I think it would be a lot more noticeable if it was that other than like, like I said, a, a black t-shirt. No, and I'm jeans. wearing a basic ass. Like. <laughs> and like you work in an office office where people are wearing like business attire. Like, if I suddenly showed up dressed like Jeff Goldblum's character in this movie sure. with, like, a tweed jacket yeah. and a skinny tie, <laughs> yeah, people would notice that the first day because I never dressed like that. We already like got the that. hair. 
But if I shut up, <laughs> <laughs> but if I dress like that a second day in the row, people would be like, "What? What's with this?" And then uh... it, it would become a thing if I suddenly wore something I never wear. Yeah. But if I just wore what I wear now. But the same selection five days in a row. I'm just wondering how long it would actually take people to notice. I, I feel like it, it takes a lot of balls to just have that confidence in this one outfit. This works for me at all times of every year. Listen, it does work for him. He's he's nine, he does. He's 900 feet tall. And it's just <laughs> like accentuating how tall and skinny he is. Sure. And at least by the end of the movie, Gina Davis is going out there and buying him different clothes. What are girlfriends for if not to try to help their boyfriends improve their wardrobe? Yeah. I don't know if I've told this story before, but early on when I was at, at my job, I work I worked in an office and I still work for the same company, but I when I started, I didn't really have a great wardrobe at all. And the first couple of months I was working there, I think we had like one of the VPs from out of out of town come to come and visit our office. And we're supposed to dress business casual or like dress nicer. And I went out to have drinks and whatever with the guy with the entire office. And I, I wore what I thought was a business casual look. And I wore like shitty khakis that had extra pockets in them. I wore a button down shirt that didn't fit me right. And I, I, I know I looked bad. And one of the bosses came up to me that night after having a few drinks. And he says, hmm. Maybe we should like give give, uh, give Trent a stipend to buy some new clothes. Oh. And I, I felt kind of shitty because it's like, oh, geez, do I need to leave? Do I not need to be here right now? Am I like, going to get fired because I look shitty? Like there's a time and a place and it sucks that it's like, oh, they get, were drinking. So they lost their inhibitions and just told you you dress like shit. I mean, I <laughs> kind of so did. so many words. I did. And, so. Yeah. But then you should say, hey, maybe next time. You work on that a little bit as yeah. opposed to, yeah, he sure dresses like shit. We should give him some money to go shopping. I mean, I would have taken the money. And you would have gone shopping. I mean, I was like 24 when I, when I started that job. Yeah, what did you know? I, what did I know? You were young and dumb. Yeah. All right, Betsy. I think that's where I'm going to have to leave this one because all I'm going to do is talk about all the other gross things that happen. <laughs> like when he's in front of the mirror and his fingers squirt out on the mirror. Oh yeah. There's like squirting and squidging and snapping yep. and secretions and everywhere. Secretions. That's the subtitle of this movie. Secretions everywhere. I, the fly. I hate that. Secretions everywhere. Make all right. Stop. All right. That is going to be it for this rendition of never scream at <laughs> episode four of 2023. Please reach out to us if you've watched this movie and survived, I guess. Never seen it pod at gmail.com. Not only can you do that, but you can also reach out to us on the social media sites. Betsy has a few comments that we received about our last Never Scream It episode, The Craft. Trent, I told you yeah. that people freaking love the craft yeah we got a big response on the craft <laughs> so here's just a few of the comments that we received uh so felicia said the craft was my entire personality as a kid teenager and now as an adult oh no so yeah that's somebody who saw it young and it has stuck with her our friend seth responded that feruza is wonderful in this of course but I want to shout out Robin Tunney for being magnetic in everything she does. Not so much the wig, though. Yeah. Uh, I got a comment from my sister, because like I mentioned in the episode, yep. I'm pretty sure she's the reason I watched this movie in the first place. Uh-huh. The ultimate 
teen angst movie. My friends and I watched this during grad school and for two weeks just ran around screaming, why? I don't quite get don't, that reference. I don't remember what that reference is. I don't remember is. why. Katie, you're going to have to elaborate on that Please one. Please do. Uh, we also got a comment on one of our Instagram reels. Uh, I don't know this person's real name, but her handle is Pure Darko. She said, I watched this movie when I was in sixth grade and it genuinely changed my brain chemistry. <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to date Nancy or be her, but it got me very obsessed with witchcraft and metaphysical stuff in general. I oh, bought- you went way down that oh, rabbit yeah. hole. Oh, just wait. I bought my first tarot deck and crystals after watching it. And now I have an addiction to spending all my money at metaphysical and occult shots. Oh, no. Hell yeah. Oh, no. I'm here for it. I still go back and forth between trying to look like Nancy and trying to pursue women who look like Nancy. Yeah. All right. I love this. You got it bad. So pure Darko, I'm not sure who you are, but thank you for commenting. We appreciate you discovering our podcast. And discovering yourself. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> I am here and I support your life choice. All right. We also got an email from our super fan, Stephanie, about the craft as well. She says, LOL, this movie is ridiculous. I watched this on TV once when I was in high school and then maybe once or twice since then. It is super fun and has influenced so many other movies. I love that you root for the witches in the beginning, but in the end, you realize that they can't handle the power and must be stopped. That's the whole point. Yeah, I was disappointed. I I wanted to root for them more. No, they don't deserve it. (laughs) Uh, Teenage girls are petty and do not have the maturity to stop before it goes too far. Nancy is a nut job and super killed that guy. He sucked, but she still shouldn't have killed him. Like I said, did she though? (laughs) She absolutely killed that guy. She only mostly murdered him. Mostly pushed him out of a window onto the concrete. Potato, potato. (laughs) (laughs) She says, all of the bullies in this movie genuinely suck and are terrible. I like that this movie shows that even though they suck, they are still people and the punishments do not fit the crime. That's what I said. By the end, they should have seen the error of their ways and maybe use their powers to help people and and uplift them maybe. Use I don't them know. for good, you mean? I don't know. Yeah, fuck that. They're teenagers. It's true. They're terrible, terrible teens. Stephanie says, I love 90s supernatural stuff. I'm a huge Buffy fan and I also watched a good amount of Charmed. We talked a lot about Charmed in that episode. She agrees that the wig is bad, but the music in the movie is wonderful. Return to Oz is a horrifying nightmare. I did not watch this until college, and it legitimately gave me nightmares. It is so disturbing. You see what I'm saying? She is like in her 20s watching this, and it's a fucking nightmare. Maybe never scream it next year. I love that that has become... A movie that qualifies because that is how horrific it is. I have no idea. You've seen it. If you think so, you tell us, listeners. If you you think that we should do Never Scream It next year and we start off with Return to Oz, let us know. All right. uh, Stephanie is giving uh, another update as to what she is watching this month because she, she watches one scary movie or like themed movie every single day for the entire month of October. On the 11th, she watched... The Old Ways. On the 12th, she watched Hocus Pocus, an all-time classic in my opinion. 13th, she watched The Conference, which sounds very boring. The 14th, she watched Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I've heard of. I know of some of those apart from Hocus Pocus because I've seen that one many, many times. Yes. 
but I, I've never seen any of the rest no, she's the mentioned old to ways, date. Again, the conference sounds like it's like it's a meeting. Like, I don't want to go to that. I don't want to go to a meeting. No. I know that's kind of scary sometimes. Conferences can be scary if you're an introvert. Ooh, spooky stuff. <laughs> Talking in front of people. Talking hey, to people. <laughs> hey, I am an introvert, but I I have this weird thing where I don't mind getting in front of people and talking. You're an extroverted introvert, if you're anything. You just, you have a social battery that runs out. That's, I do. That's your kind of introvert. I have a social battery that, that really runs out fast, but I will talk anybody's ear off who I find interesting. When you are comfortable enough yeah. To, to poke their brain. I'm one of those where I have very few friends, but they're all really good friends. But not to get way into me. <laughs> uh, she explains, the three besides Hocus Pocus were all new to us. The old ways was really good. Scary stories to tell in the dark was decent. The conference kind of sucked. Well, there See, you go. Like we said. <laughs> like we said. Love you guys from Superfan Stephanie. Thank you as always, Stephanie. Thank you again. I'm ho- I'm hoping that you are enjoying our Never Scream It because we're kind of doing this for you. It's, <laughs> a, it's also an October thing and we're having fun. And I'll tell you this. I re-listened to our Hereditary episode earlier today. Oh, yeah? By the way. And yeah, I, I want to see more of that guy. We're not going to cover the most recent Ari Aster movie on this rendition of Never Scream It. I think we will probably have to watch Bo is Afraid uh, sometime next year. Soon enough. Soon enough. Ari I, I definitely want to watch that movie. He's two for two in our book. So far. But yes, thank you again for all of our contributors. Anytime you want to say something to us about the, one of our movies, if you want to make a suggestion for some random movie that we haven't really thought of yet, please reach out to us. Never seen it pod at gmail.com. Like we keep on saying, follow us on all the social media stuff. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Blue Sky. We are now on Blue Sky. Our name on Blue Sky is Never Seen It. But that is going to be it for episode four of Never Scream It 2023. We will be back next week with our final episode of Never Scream It. Betsy, we've already said that it's coming from the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's going to be kind of a big one. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell the people what it is? It's a movie celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Yeah, this year. It uh, got nominated for some Oscars. Yes, it did. It's uh, one that's been spoofed a lot. And there's another kind of semi-sequel remake kind of thing that's happening that's coming out that's out this year. Yeah, we're doing The Exorcist, we're guys. We're doing The Exorcist. That's what we're doing. 1973. The big finale. <laughs> and neither of us have seen it. We're, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about we'll that talk more. About that. We'll talk about that more next week. But until then, this has been another episode of Never Seen It. We got another episode coming out on Wednesday. Don't miss that. But we'll be back to you next week with the finale of Never Scream It. Until then, my name is Trent. My name is Betsy. We'll catch you next time. Bye.